0: A, a priest and a taxi driver both passed away, uh, on the same day and, 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 went to heaven. And, uh, St. Peter, as happens in all good Easter jokes, was meeting them at the pearly gates and, uh, said, uh, let me, let me show you to kind of your, your, the places where you're going to stay. And, uh, he, he went ahead and started, uh, with the taxi driver and he took him to this just palatial estate absolutely beautiful. There's a bowling alley, an indoor swimming pool, just the, the nicest amenities, and the taxi driver's like, oh my goodness, thank you. This is this is incredible. He says, well, now I'm going to go ahead and take the priest to, to his location, and, and they got there, and it was just kind of an old shack with bunk beds and a television set, and the priest kind of got belligerent, and he said, I think there's been a pretty major mistake here. Uh, I'm a priest. I go to church every week. I proclaim God's word. There, there's got to be a mistake here, and Saint Peter said, yes, but during your Easter sermon, people slept, and when the taxi driver drove, everyone prayed. So, you know, that's the the difference. And I, I will tell you that, that some people uh, have called uh, Easter Sunday the Super Bowl of the church calendar year. Uh, And it it really, it really is true. It's the highest attended church service of the year. uh, And it's not even really that close to Christmas. It's the day when you have more new people uh, at your services than any other Sunday. In addition to that, there's uh, a power to this message that preachers and pastors and priests know that when you get up and proclaim the resurrection, it has the power to change people's lives. And so almost every uh, pastor and minister I knew woke up a couple weeks ago uh, with kind of a knot in their stomach, thinking to themselves, Lord, please don't let me screw this up. Please don't let me put people to sleep, right? Uh, pl- please, please let me uh, proclaim this message well. And there is, I'm just, this is cheaper than counseling for me, all right? So I, I'm just kind of confessing, confessing to you right now. There is a pressure that comes with Easter. There is a pressure of eloquence. Uh, there's a pressure of eloquence that every pastor and preacher wants to be funny. That's why I started with that killer joke. And quite frankly, the response wasn't as great as I had hoped. Uh, so, you know, there, the, you, you want to be funny. You want to be ar- articulate. Cheryl will tell you the worst thing someone can say to me after a sermon is I don't think that was true. The second worst thing is I didn't understand it, right? So, you know, obviously you want it to be true, but then if someone comes out and says, I don't get it, you were, you were very, very confusing. That, that's like a, a terrible thing to, to hear. You want the message to be attractive. This is the Sunday where preachers and pastors try to get rid of the ums and the oohs and the little verbal quirks that, that we all have, and it's not or, or insidious and it's not wrong. I'll tell you what it is. A little bit of insider talk here is pastors and preachers, we want Jesus to sound good to you. We want you to like and eventually love Jesus because we believe it will make all the difference in the world. And for many preachers, we think that if the message and the Sunday presentation looks good and sounds good, that we hope that you'll like Jesus. Uh, It's not about liking us, it's about liking and eventually loving Jesus, and the relationship will continue from there. And there's one tiny little problem with this whole thing that I'm laying out to you, and that is this we are sinners. Welcome to Easter Sunday. You are a sinner. I am a sinner, all right? The Bible's really clear on this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this because I honestly don't think we really need to be convinced of this because every person in this room, you have a list of personal moral standards. I know I do. And most of us, we don't live up to our own moral standards that we have. Right? And so when you start to talk about a holy, righteous, and perfect perfect God, I don't think we have to be convinced that we don't live up to his standards. But we are sinners, and Jesus is not. Jesus is holy, and righteous, and perfect. And that means a lot of things. But one of the things that it means is that Jesus is not always going to sound good to us. Jesus is not always going to sound good to us. There are plenty of things that Jesus said, and I would I get up here and proclaim them every week, that do sound good. His message on love was counterculture at the time, but today, I mean, it, it, we love his teachings on love. It, it sounds good, but let me show you another story. I put it up on the screen for you. A man came to Jesus and asked, "'Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life?' And he said, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. All right, great follow-up question. Which ones? Which commandments should I keep? And Jesus says, well, let's start with don't murder. Right? right, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I've kept all of these since I was a young man. To which I think we, first of all, all say, you've never lied But anyway, anyway, that's, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus knew that money had a hold on this guy. Now, he doesn't ask this of everyone, but he asked it of this guy. And all of a sudden, Jesus didn't sound good to him. And it raises an interesting question that we'll put on the screen for you. What do you do when Jesus doesn't sound good to you? What do you do when his way is hard and complicated and asks a lot of you? What do you do when Jesus doesn't sound good? It leads me to another pressure that all pastors and preachers feel. It is the pressure to pragmatism. It is the pressure to wisdom that we want to convince you, pastors and preachers want to convince you, especially on Easter Sunday, that this Jesus thing works. And so the way this plays out for me is that I spend a lot of time thinking about the series coming out of Easter, right? Because I want to pick a topic and demonstrate to you that Jesus works in this particular area. So this year, our church is doing marriage, We're going to be talking about marriage for the next six weeks. That I desperately want you to understand this Jesus thing works. This Jesus thing will affect your marriage. It will affect your finances. It will affect your relationships. It will affect everything. I want you to be convinced of that. The problem is the same one that I mentioned earlier we are sinners, and Jesus is not. And sometimes his way is not going to sound to our ears like it will work. The Jesus way is sometimes counterintuitive. Right? Here's what I mean by that. It can be hard, it can require sacrifice, and it will work. It doesn't always sound like it will work. I remember uh, counseling someone years ago, and we were talking through some issue, and I Honestly, can't even remember the issue we were discussing, but it had to do with one of the hard teachings of Jesus. So I would, there's, a, you can categorize these, but I would talk about like Jesus's teachings on generosity, uh, Jesus's teachings on purity, Jesus's teachings on forgiveness. I would categorize those as some of the hard uh, sayings of, of Jesus. And I remember I was walking through one of these. I can't remember which one and laying out everything that Jesus taught about this topic. And I'll never forget it. He was across the table from me. And I said, hold up right there. I'm not doing that. I said, I didn't know you could say that. But, you know, he he this is a, he said, I'm not doing that. He, he said, that would never work. He said, Jesus sounds crazy when he says I should do it that way. And we live in a culture where looking good to our ears, sounding good, making sense are, are, are all things of value. And often Jesus is every one of those things. But there is going to come a time when you follow Jesus. I promise you. There will come a time when you're following Jesus where to your ears it doesn't look good, sound good, or feel like it will work. And attention comes into play. That this doesn't look good or sound good or seem like it would work to me, but it obviously looks good and sounds good and feels like it would work to Jesus. And so there is a tension that comes into play. I said, what do you do in that moment? of that tension where it's like, I don't think this is gonna work. Jesus, I promise you it'll work. I don't think it's gonna work. I promise you it'll work. What do you do in that moment? The apostle Paul actually said something really interesting about this. Let me show you this. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I, will, I love this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Jesus frustrates our intelligence. Jesus frustrates our wisdom because there are often times where he says and teaches something and it's like, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't look good. That doesn't feel like it would work. And he goes on to say, where is the wise person? The the apostle Paul is essentially saying, let's face it. You're really not that wise compared to God, right? No insult on your intelligence at all. Just compared to God, you're not. Where is the teacher of law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? for for since in the wisdom of God uh, the world through its wisdom did not know him God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe Jews demand signs and Greeks look to wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So the strongest that you ever are, God is stronger. The wisest that you ever are, God is wiser. And there is always, Paul is teaching us here, that there is always going to be some people that see this tension. This doesn't look good. This doesn't sound good. This doesn't feel like it's going to work. And they are going to come to the conclusion, this is foolishness. They're going to have the reaction of that guy I mentioned earlier. I'm not doing that. I'm not giving that. I'm not following that. This is foolishness. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but today is April Fool's Day. And I love that it falls on Easter Sunday because he came to frustrate our sense of wisdom. He came to frustrate our sense of intelligence. And there's been some real doozy. I'm not gonna do uh, the the whole uh, April Fool's thing on you uh, this year. Our secretary did if you got your bulletin. I don't know if you noticed the bullet or not, but that was not a mistake. All right, so, um, but there had been some doozies in in terms of April Fool's joke. I just lost the whole audience. You're all looking at your bulletins. (laughs) Classic preaching (laughs) blunder. I told you to look at something, and now everybody's doing it. All right, so... Uh, that that there, there have been some great April Fool's jokes. That Taco Bell did one um, uh, back in 1996, and they said that as a company, they had decided that they were going to buy the Liberty Bell to help our nation get out of debt. And uh, people bought it, including senators and congressmen. They had to hold press conferences about, we can't let Taco Bell buy the Liberty Bell. And so, so finally Taco Bell had to issue a statement and said, it's April Fool's, we're not buying uh, the Liberty Bell. The one that I couldn't believe was from 2004, belief.net, which is a source that I, I use quite a bit, but they, had, uh, they, they did a thing that they believed would be so obvious that this was an April Fool's joke, but they said a bunch of religious leaders got together and uh, decided that Oprah Winfrey was going to be a new member of the Trinity. equal to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they thought it was just obvious that this was a joke. No, 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 no. no nobody else thought it was obvious, and they ended up having to, to retract. But the one uh, that I really love uh, because of where I was raised uh, was that a city in Michigan um, issued a press conference that they had received $1.5 million um, to uh, release sharks into Lake Michigan. Uh, to, <laughs> To, to see how they would survive in the fresh water. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been to Lake Michigan, my wife and I both grew up going to Lake Michigan, you know there's not sharks in there, but it is a big enough lake that you sometimes wonder, all right? And so people were totally freaked, freaked out. But this is Paul's point. He says the message, the message of Jesus is always going to sound foolish to some people. And you sometimes even get this sense when you're listening, uh, reading Jesus teach in the New Testament. You sometimes almost get this sense that people that were listening to Jesus is like, are you punking us? Is this April Fool's? What, what is this? This would never work. And they began to view it as foolish. There, there's an interesting uh, story in John 6. In John 6, Jesus has been teaching all day. And he comes to the end of the day and he wants to feed the crowd. 5,000 men plus women and children and uh, they don't have enough food. And so Jesus finds a little boy with a sack lunch of loaves and fish, and he multiplies all that food, and he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with, you know, a McDonald's happy meal, basically, right? And, And he gets all that done. And people are so wowed by Jesus. They're like, this looks good. This sounds good. If this guy can do this, nothing is impossible for him. We like this Jesus, And they are all about him. Well, overnight, Jesus gets in a boat and he crosses to the other side of the sea. And uh, the crowds wake up and they come to where Jesus was the day before and they realize he's on the other side of the sea. So they all get in their boats and they follow Jesus. They are mesmerized by him, they are enamored by him. Like, man, if he can do miracles like this, nothing's impossible. And they, they see power and dollar signs and all that stuff. And they go across the sea to where Jesus is. And then Jesus starts preaching. He doesn't do another miracle. He gives him a sermon, right? And he begins to preach, and it is a hard sermon. You can read this whole exchange in John uh, 6 through 8 sometime, but it is a hard sermon. It is a controversial sermon, and the crowds begin to dwindle. All of a sudden, the Jesus that did the miracle, the Jesus that is preaching hard at them, the crowds begin to dwindle. And there's a really interesting exchange. It said, I'm hearing this, many of his disciples, right? So the crowd had dwindled down. Now we're left with just the disciples. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, right? That's when you, you always know your sermons hit home when you, there's a grumbling, right? <laughs> Aware they were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing the words i have spoken to you they are full of spirit and life yet there are some of some of you who do not believe jesus the words i'm giving to you they may be controversial they may be hard to hear they they, they may not look good or sound good they're life that's jesus's point For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who was going to betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave two, do you, Jesus? Now he's down to 12. You don't want to leave two, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus preaches this message to this huge crowd that doesn't look good and it doesn't sound good and maybe to their sinful ears it doesn't make sense and Jesus says, are you, are you offended? Is this foolish to you? Are you leaving me as well? And they said, no, we believe that your words lead to life. We believe that your words are going to lead us to life. So I want to talk to you for a minute. All right. That was the introduction, but the body of the sermon is very short. All right. So I want to talk to you for a minute because I know that there's a lot of people in this room that at some point, the message of Jesus, you just fell away from it. It stopped making sense to you. It started to seem foolish to you. Maybe you were raised in the church and you did the whole church thing for a long time and, and you just kind of walked away from it, fell away from it. However you, you want to describe it, maybe something kind of difficult or, or bad happened. And, and you're, you're here this morning um, to honor your mom or to honor your grandma, to be honest. Um, you're, you're here because they're going to take you out to lunch after. Let's, let's just call it, you know, th- they're going to take you out to lunch. And I want to introduce you to something, because I think these words are so powerful. I really do. And I've been praying for you this week that maybe the dial can move on this. I want to introduce you to the Apostle Paul, and I want to talk directly to you. If if, if you're in that position to say, man, at some point I just stopped believing this. It just started to seem foolish to me. It's my mother's faith. It's not my faith. If, If that's you, I want to introduce you to Paul, and I want to show you some of his words, because Paul was exactly like you. Paul didn't believe. Paul thought it was foolish. Paul tried to persecute the church. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. And and, and he had kind of fallen away from it. But I want to talk directly to you. And I want to share with you the words of Paul because I think they're powerful. And to everyone else in the room, I I want you to know, if you haven't come to this kind of crossroads, you will, even as a follower of Jesus, where the culture says to do this, Jesus says to do this. Mom and dad say to do this. Jesus says to do this. My internal feeling says to do this. So everybody faces this. And I think Paul's words are so interesting and so profound. I want to show them for for all of us that, that maybe in terms of faith, maybe the dial can be moved a little bit. And here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. I love this. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Not qualities of a great public speaker, right? I, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not, not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love what Paul says here. He says, when I came to you to, as a preacher, When I came to you as a preacher, my goal was not to win anybody over with eloquence. My goal was not to make things nice and pretty. I knew that if you were going to follow Jesus, and you were going to follow Jesus for the long haul, I knew knew that you didn't need eloquence, you didn't need flashy, you didn't need uh, all of that stuff. What you needed, Paul said, was, we'll put it on the screen for you, a demonstration of God's power. So Paul said, when I came to you, all I brought to you, I had a demonstration I had a demonstration of God's power. And this is why uh, car companies are really kind of known for this. Car companies will do almost anything to get you to test drive a car. Because they know they can do an advertisement of full color. They can make all kinds of flashy and fun and hilarious commercials. But they know that statistically what will win you over to buy the car is a demonstration of its power right? You get behind that wheel, and you test drive that car, and you see that demonstration, they know that you'll be convinced to buy the car. And I think this is so freeing for preachers like me, that Paul, one of the greatest preachers in history, says, I wasn't eloquent, I wasn't wise, I wasn't persuasive, but I came with a demonstration. And so I want to rip a page out of Paul's preaching book here just for a minute, and with the rest of my time to you, I want to give you a demonstration of the Spirit's power, the greatest demonstration in the history of the Spirit's power. And, and maybe it would, if at some point you thought this was foolish, or you were done with this, or you're not doing the church thing anymore, maybe if we could be reminded of this demonstration of the Spirit's power, maybe just like for Paul, maybe just like for the early apostles, maybe, just maybe, a demonstration of God's power would change something for you and for me. And here's the demonstration on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, I love this text. They spent some time wondering, (laughs) right? What happened? Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. He did say that, right? They it Paul knew that it was the resurrection that was the key to figuring this whole tension thing out and I think Paul understood this better than anyone because before he was an apostle he was a persecutor of the church it was his job to kill Christians and shut the, the church down and Paul had doubts and Paul didn't believe and Paul thought it was foolishness and Paul wanted them all in prison and then all of a sudden he becomes an apostle, he becomes a church planter, he, he becomes a, a, a passionate for Jesus Christ. What changed? The resurrection changed that on the road to Damascus, a bright light shone in his face and Jesus spoke to him and Jesus revealed himself to him and all of a sudden he saw resurrected Jesus and the resurrection moved the dial of Paul's faith from persecutor to apostle, from murderer to church planter, right, from unbeliever to zealous and it was one thing that did it. It was the resurrection. And I'm telling you, Paul made sure that we understood the resurrection was the ball game. That if you can begin to get your mind around the resurrection, that low in the grave he laid, and then he burst forth in victory. If you can get your mind around the resurrection, Paul knows that the dial of faith in your life can begin to move from doubtful to to faithful from unsure to certain, the, 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 the dial can begin to move. Let me show you what I wanted to say to you about Paul, is that he had faith and confidence in the words, commands, and way of Jesus because of the resurrection. It was because of what we're celebrating right now. And I am telling you, you may be here to appease grandma, you may be here to appease mom and dad, but I am telling you, this is the message you need to hear. You don't need lights, although I think our lights are cool. You don't need comfortable chairs. (laughs) New chairs are on their way. You don't need these comfortable folding chairs. You don't need funny jokes. What we need is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that's exactly what the resurrection is. So you could say the same thing you say about Paul. You could say the same thing about the early apostles. The early apostles, when Jesus is crucified, the early apostles are in an upper room. They're scared. They're hiding. They think they're going to be arrested. They're contemplating going back to fishing or tax collecting or or whatever. They're they're scared to death. And by the time uh, the book of Acts rolls around, they are zealously preaching. They are traveling the world. They are church planting. They are giving their life. Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. Andrew was, was, was crucified in the Soviet Union. Thomas was killed in, in uh, Syria. Philip was killed in North Africa. Uh, Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Simon was, re, uh, was, was killed for refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. What would account for such a change? To a group of men and women hiding in an upper room, scared to even leave, then going out and proclaiming the good news and giving their life for the cause. What would account for that? They had a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ because they saw the resurrection. They saw and had confidence in the resurrection. So today I want to land on a really simple point. Remember the resurrection. I want to encourage you to remember the resurrection. If you used to attend church as a kid and you've kind of moved away from it, if this just isn't your bag anymore, I wanted to come up here in such simplicity Remind you to remember the resurrection. When the way of Jesus doesn't make sense to you, and sometimes it won't, when the way of Jesus doesn't make sense to you, remember the resurrection. When the way of Jesus seems hard to you, remember the resurrection. When the way of Jesus causes conflict in your life and your business and your family, remember the resurrection. When the way of Jesus stands in stark contrast to what our culture does and believes, remember the resurrection. When you are tired and discouraged and you wanna give up, remember remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection, because the resurrection gives us our confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are here today and you are unsure, I would point you to the resurrection. If you are here today and you are tired and you are frustrated, I would point you to the resurrection. If you are here today and you have just kind of wandered away from, from your faith, I want to remind you of the resurrection because the resurrection gives us the base upon which we can have our ultimate confidence in this life and in the life to come. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, We thank you for the resurrection. Um, Lord, may our confidence be in the resurrection. May we remember the resurrection. And if we're somebody that's wandered away or just kind of shook our fist and left, and and we come back once or twice a year, um, help us to remember it. Help us to find our confidence in it because those days when Jesus doesn't make sense or it's hard or we think that it won't work, when we can remember his resurrection, it will move the dial of faith. It will give us the confidence that we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, let's sing a song together. Go ahead and stand. And uh, let's sing with confidence. Let's sing with confidence. And I'll be up here. If you wanna pray, um, I would love to pray with you as we sing this song together.